episode 20, and as my journey is shared in this podcast, we've been through a couple of twists and turns. I hope that you've been able to see the world through my lens in a way that has contributed in some measure to how my experiences might relate to yours and to see the world through a different lens. This episode adds a bit more color to what my early years look like and how it is likely different from most. I've often been asked how they might follow my journey in my academic experience, and this is an area that I usually shift to a different view, because the way that I meandered through my academic experience was, in some ways, well, in many ways, on turbo, multiplied. You'll see what I mean. Master Sergeant Skerritt, who was my boss and mentor at Six Axe, became the food service superintendent, and about this time, it was time for me to also move to a new job. I became the base food service accountant. This job put me on a normal duty schedule in the squadron food service office that was co-located in the same building as a squadron commander. I liked this job because it was not just over one facility, Rather, I had the responsibility to balance the books for all the food service facilities at Langley. I also got to be involved with other squadron-level projects. By this time, I had accumulated quite a few awards, and this helped establish my credentials as a hard worker and capable leader. This was well before much computerization, and almost all the documents were completed by hand with a calculator and a pencil. I became quite fast on the calculator when in the storeroom and could zip through much of my work pretty quickly and with excellent accuracy. A notable disadvantage was at this time, people could still smoke at their desks in the offices, and that was less enjoyable. It was about this time that I re-engaged smoking a pipe. Well, for maybe a month or so, because people said I looked like a choo-choo train, because for those of you who know me well, I walk kind of fast, and with the pipe, you could imagine what that might look like. You, re- you may remember that one of the biggest challenges at school was that some of the courses were not offered when I was able to take them, and this changed with this new job. I started at CNC in January 1981 when I transferred in the few hours for PE and the two courses from earlier. I took as many CLEP tests as I could, and in short order, I had well over 60 hours in just a relatively short period of time, covering the required courses and some electives as well. That first semester, I just took a couple of courses, but that escalated very fast. In part, because I was motivated to get to the finish line, and in part, because my mentors and supervisors were incredibly supportive, and my desire not to let them down added more drive. In that time period, CNC partnered with a program that offered college courses on TV on the weekends. I don't remember exactly how that worked, but I took a couple of those courses that way. I also learned I could challenge courses. When you challenge a course, you make a deal with a professor to meet a personalized plan, and if you completed that plan, you got credit for the course. I challenged several courses. Some meant just taking the exams, some meant doing a paper and an exam, and one was just a paper. Some had other requirements. So, I was taking 30 hours a semester with just about all the ways I could find. 
I remember one summer term, I took a full year of courses in one summer. And yes, it was a lot. You may remember from an earlier episode my challenge with the biology CLEP test and how Mrs. Davis, my high school biology teacher, came to my rescue in giving advice on a good study textbook that enabled me to test out of the six hours of science. There were two aspects of college that don't enable this to happen today. There is one aspect, or a loophole, that I explored and resulted in not almost not graduating. And there was one professor who made my quest possible at literally the last week before graduation. So, here we go. Today, business schools are guided by one of two specialized accreditation associations with requirements that a college must meet for accreditation. That wasn't the case then. This is important because I needed a certain number of business courses, which were at my discretion as long as they were on the list. Today, the sequencing would make my experience nearly impossible. The other aspect was that many schools have a limit on the number of CLEP hours that can be used toward their degree and that also wasn't the case at CNC at the time. The loophole is the most intriguing story of my time at CNC. I mentioned that my advisor was a retired Navy captain, or 06. When I said I had an accelerated plan to get my degree when I first started, he humored me early on. I passed every class, and some were pretty, but I passed. I also knew that if I wanted to get into grad school, I would need a 3.0 in my major field of study, which was business. I didn't know if that was a plan, but I didn't want to rule it out. Notably, CLEP courses and challenge courses are pass-fail. So those courses don't factor into, grade, into the grade point average, making in-person classes more important to get a good grade. Anyway, I am taking 10 or 11 courses a semester and passing. How? Sometimes I look back and I don't even know. Here is one example. I was taking an early morning course. I know I fell asleep a couple of times. Back then, you could give the professor a 3x5 self-addressed card and they would mail your test grade and final grade at the end of the term so you didn't have to wait for the registrar's office because that would take sometimes 7 to 10 days. I got the card and... Wait a minute. I got a C? I went to his office and said, Hey, I have at least a B average on all of my tests. He said, Yes, and you slept in almost every class. I sheepishly left and said, Thank you. This was a taxing time. I was taking so many classes, it was hard to keep up. The squadron leaders were being incredibly supportive with my schedule as I was able to do much of my work on my own. So when I had to go to school during the day, I would go into the office sometimes as late as 2 in the morning to complete my work. I was also working at Pizza Hut and picked up a part-time job as a night auditor for a hotel. I only worked a couple of hours at that job. So as you can see, there was little time to do other things. I mentioned this last week. About this time, I remember driving out of the parking lot at the apartment complex, and I couldn't decide if I was supposed to turn right to go to CNC or to turn left to go to the base. 
I stopped the car, was incredibly confused. After collecting myself, I kept going. About this time, the Air Force modernized the cashier system in the dining facilities. This was start of the SIMS program that was rolled out Air Force-wide. Since we were stationed at the same base as the Major Air Command, Tactical Air Command, we were a test base. I was appointed as the project manager for the program since I was the base food service accountant. This was all very new to me. Instead of people signing a form and getting a credit for a meal served, we had to price all the items and record them as individual items instead of a rate for each signature line. This was a huge change for the entire staff. I was not technically inclined, and so the learning curve was substantial. My world is piling up really, really fast. I had so many plates spinning, I simply couldn't let any fall because of my motivation, and equally importantly, I couldn't let anyone down, and so I had to show that I could do it. It was late afternoon, I remember. I was in the Eagle Room, and we were in the final stages of rolling out the Sims program, and I collapsed on the floor. I was rushed to the emergency room. The diagnosis? Exhaustion. My main concern after the second day was to get back to work and back to school. This was a time in the Air Force where getting mental health was a huge negative. My supervisors and the commander worked hard to protect me, and since it was a medical, a military medical facility, it was easy for them to do. I was advised I had to cut something out. The suggestion was to put school on hold and pull back on my part-time job. To me, at the time, none of these sounded feasible, yet I knew something had to be done. I was only sleeping a couple days a week. What kept me going, and this is interesting, was Coca-Cola. While caffeine doesn't really affect me much, it was the sugar that gave me the energy to do everything. I was drinking cases of Coke a week. Looking back, I also think that once I wasn't in a dining facility, I wasn't likely consuming much food either. When working in a dining facility, you can eat easily enough. I was really conflicted. The challenge was I wouldn't be released until I committed to something. So I decided I would eliminate the night auditor job and cut my hours at Pizza Hut to no more than 10 to 12 hours a week. Because the I was on OTS, cutting back on school really wasn't a viable option. The base called my parents, and they wanted to come down right away, and I begged them not to. I would be fine, and I was. They agreed and didn't come down. After about four days, I was back to work and school. What did I learn? You can take on too much. In hindsight, this went back to my days in high school and the incident at Red Horse. I believed that I had to show the world that I could do more, better, and show that despite the way I was treated by others, I would outperform. I was going to brush myself off and move forward. That's what I did. 
I did complete the test of the SIMS program, and I was very glad that the Air Force people, my Air Force supervisors, didn't lessen my workload. I did keep my schedule at school. The night Arthur job stopped, and it was a very short time after this that I left Pizza Hut under, well, more on that later. One day, I got a call from Mom. She has some very interesting news. A woman claimed to be the natural sister for the last two siblings that we adopted. Remember that we adopted them as teenagers. We knew at the time from their own personal stories that their natural mother had passed and an older sister couldn't care for them. She was a nurse and planned to go to the United States, get a job, and bring them to the United States as soon as she could. I vaguely remember that for a couple of years, Mom would take out ads in major newspapers trying to find this sister. After no responses, everyone went on their way. When Mom got this letter, she simply didn't know if it was real or not. Mostly, she didn't want my sister and brother to be scammed. The woman lived in Chicago. Mom asked me if I would come home to mediate the visit of this woman when she came to the farm. Of course I agreed. At the time, Mom said that if I said that she was legitimate, she would agree. If I decided the woman was not legitimate, she would agree to that as well. There was a lot of pressure, and at the same time, I felt I could be a fair arbiter. I gathered some information from my sister that only her natural sister would know. We created some questions and scenarios. Some were accurate and some were not. The woman was married and had children as well, and the woman did come with her husband. After a period of time, my decision was made. In my view, this was the natural sister. Here's what happened. She did come to the United States, and apparently the paths nearly crossed from when we adopted them and she went back for them. Because they were older, the chances of being adopted were very small. Just as, at the time, social services told my parents that they could adopt one more child, and the loophole mom found was that adopting natural siblings counted as one adoption under the agency rules at the time. The sister, by chance, also put ads in various newspapers, and we lived in such a rural area, we would never have seen them. Then, the woman said something that almost stopped the entire process. She said to mom something like this, Mrs. Terwilliger, Thank you so much for taking care of my sister and brother. You did a great job as if they were your own children. Mom, who was to what we today would call a mama bear, she said, they are my children, and she whispered to me to get them to leave. To finish the story, they did leave shortly after. Both of my siblings did start a relationship with their older sister, and that relationship was more like an aunt or an old acquaintance. After all, it had been somewhere around 15 years, and both were adults by this point. 
Getting back to my time at Christopher Newport College, I was called into my advisor's office at the midpoint of my last term. He said, you are taking too many courses. You have to drop some. In fact, you have to drop half. What? No, wait. Not only have I been doing this for a year and a half, I have been passing all my courses. He then said, no, the rules don't even allow you to register for more than 15 hours. Here's the loophole. I said, yes, that's true. You can only register for 15 hours in person, and you can register for 15 hours online. That doesn't include some of the core systems that they had in place. He looked at me like, what? I, what? I said, you understand that I am in the military and I can move or be deployed trying to play on his past relationship with the military. I am supposed to graduate this term, I said. He sat back in his chair, what seemed like an hour. I was really, really concerned. He leaned back forward looked at me sternly and said, get out. We never had this conversation. Phew. <laughs> yes, phew. I was back on track. Almost done. Last term. I was challenging that one last course in statistics. My deal with the professor was I had to pass three tests with a grade of at least B. The first two tests had a different weight than the final. It was a high bar, and I hoped I would do well. Test one, I got a C. The professor said, I'm welcome to come to the classes as well to sit in. Well, I had zero time, so I didn't do that. Test two, C. Yikes. The professor said, you really have to ace the final. I mean, you almost have to more than ace the final, but you have to ace the final. If you drop the course as a challenge class, it completely comes off your record. I needed these last three hours to graduate. So I finally bought the book. It was like a foreign language. I studied as best I could and hoped. I went in to take the final. Oh, snap. You have to bring your book in because there were tables in the back that you had to use to complete the problems. I didn't even bring my book back. Less than happy, the professor let me borrow his copy of the text. I handed in my test and said, now what do I need to pass? I don't remember the exact score. It was high. I thought, before he grades this test, I might need to negotiate. So I said, what about if I just get a B on this test? The professor, by chance, was Asian American. He had a view that Asian students should work harder and do better. He wasn't in a mood to negotiate. In one last effort, I explained, this was the last course. And without it, I don't graduate. He said, I might be able to allow some variance from the negotiated grade, but you're going to have to do well. I handed him my card and waited. Those were some long days. 
I got the card back in the mail. On the back, I wrote final exam line and final grade line. Remember, a challenge course was pass fail. He didn't write in any numbers. He simply wrote a very small P on that card. Oh my goodness. I went back to the campus, stopped by his office, and thanked him. He said, well, you actually scored the class average on the final. And he said, remember this, if you ever become a professor. I did become a professor, and this professor's compassion was part of the reason why. I graduated in December 1983, just two years with a Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration. What I did was nearly impossible, and while I've been asked time and time again how they could do what I did, I always suggest they shouldn't. First of all, testing out of courses has drawbacks. I'm not well read. I haven't taken English since 11th grade in high school. I took no math, history, science, among others, in college. I've never read the classics. As a retired educator today, there is much value in the undergraduate curriculum. Not unlike others, I'm sure, but I had a lot of pressures to finish, and that is what I did. The most significant gift that I received when I got my degree was from Grammy. Remember, she was a, had that proud Irish heritage. She gave me a crystal potato, complete with its own burlap sack. I'm posting a photo of that in the episode photos. It has been on display in every home I've lived in since. Decades later, the school renamed itself Christopher Newport University and asked alumni if they wanted their degree reissued. I declined. I attended CNC, not CNU. If you look closely at my degree in the episode photos, you'll see that this school signed the degrees in real ink, I'm sure with an electric pen, versus an engraved signature as they are today. They are quite faded after 39 years. Later that year, I earned my associate's degree in restaurant management from the community college of the Air Force. So, what's next? It's time to apply for officer training school. The next question was, while I am going through this process, do I continue to get a master's degree? It was a hard decision knowing how taxing this was. I do go on to earn that degree as well. This time, I decided to attend Golden Gate University. Golden Gate University had extension offices on Langley Air Force Base and Norfolk Naval Air Station. Since I was already in the school mode, it made sense to do it now. Full-time in grad school is only three courses, and that was like walking in the park from my previous schedule. I enjoyed graduate school. No more testing out, no loopholes. I had to take the actual courses. This part of the journey has one unique story that I will share in the next episode because we're almost running out of time. All of this was done in 1983, so if you're keeping track, I earned my undergraduate degree in January, 
my associate's degree in May, and my master's degree in December in 1983. This part of my journey is going to be a little troubling for some. I mentioned that I did eventually leave my job at Pizza Hut. Two events occurred that sparked that decision. First, a co-worker invited me to her home to watch TV. She was a nice enough person, and I agreed. What I did not know is that she was known for inviting men over to watch TV, and that meant for sex. She went to the bathroom and I was on the couch. She came back, started to kiss me, and then forced herself on me before I even knew or understood what was happening. Except for being raped as a child, I had not had intimate relations with another person. When she got off me, I abruptly left. The next time I was at the hut, one of my co-workers said, I heard you went to watch TV with the person whose name I won't disclose here. I was obviously embarrassed. Shortly thereafter, like in Las Vegas, I was training employees in a different hut one evening, and we were robbed. Both of these events happened within just a few weeks, and so while I cut my hours back to barely two days a week, I was done. I've never been to a pizza hut since. Yes, I was naive. Perhaps dumb. What I did know is that a man reporting a sexual assault was not going to be believed in the 1980s. And secondly, how would I even do that? Today, my strong advice is don't let this happen to you. If it does, get help, seek counsel, and report it. 1983 was a busy year, as you see. I haven't even touched and will be talking about some other things that happened that year. There were a lot of rainbows and, as you see, more purple rain. I will get through this. I will dust myself off because I had more to do. What I didn't know is that I would also find that my American dream still has more twists and turns. Two of the biggest ones were to come within months of each other and would change everything again. My entire life is turned upside down at the age of 25. Thank you again so much for listening and sharing the podcast. As a reminder, the short takes are on holiday until January 8th. The Boy in the Trash Can podcast is a production of CSJ Associates.